Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Godbold, and you are listening to Corrales Radio. Got a fun show uh, planned for you guys tonight. Uh, As you know, Corrales is not my only um, species of preference. You know, obviously, I keep the Amazons and the uh, Emeralds, and I love all things tree boas. But for those of you who have known me long enough, know that I have a uh, soft spot for uh, pythons, uh, in particular, uh, Morelia. Uh, I've always loved the genus. Um, and it, believe it or not, my first snake was actually a coastal carpet python. So we used to have this pet store that was uh, by my house uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. And I remember, let's see, I'm 37 now. And I remember when I was in elementary school going up to this pet store, it had, the name of it was Aquazoo. They primarily uh, were known for their fish. Uh, they always had really, really nice tanks, lots of really cool exotic um, 
saltwater and freshwater fish. And I used to keep water fish a lot. And my introduction into reptiles was actually with aquatic turtles. Um, but I remember going into this pet store and I remember looking at their snakes um, and I said, what is that, uh, is that snake? Um, and the only thing that I knew about it was that it had the coolest head I'd ever seen. And turns out it was a little jungle carpet python. And I remember the guy that was working there told me, oh, you don't want that. They're super mean. And I was like, what? So, you know, that was, uh, I was a little kid and I never got into it. My mom was with me and obviously she was like, oh, no, 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 you can't have that. Um, and so uh, as I got older, I still remembered that uh, the head of that carpet python. So I ended up getting uh, my first, uh, my first snake was a coastal carpet. Obviously, you know, proved it wrong really quick. Um, and then uh, I got into uh, some different types of stuff. I had a local friend of mine named Brian Emmanuel. Um, some of you may know him. He's kind of out of the hobby now, but uh, he introduced me to a lot of Australian stuff. And he kind of imported a fairly decent group of Irangia or, or Papuan uh, carpet pythons. And his name at the time was Nyoka Reptiles. So the Nyoka line started with him. And I remember I acquired the entire group of adults. Um, the babies, he sold off to different people. Um, and I remember those snakes were some of my favorites. So I have a really, really um, tender spot in my heart when it comes to Irangia carpet pythons. I, so I, I call them IJs, but they're, they actually are pop one carpet pythons, probably a uh, more accurate nomenclature for them. Um, but yeah, this, this should be a fun show. Um, I do love the off-topic stuff, so when I can get folks on to discuss those species, I try and jump at it. Um, I try to think, besides myself, of two of the biggest IJ uh, nuts out there, and Stephen Katz and Eric Burke were the first two names that popped in my mind, so I thought, why not bring both of them on? We'll have a little bit of a roundtable discussion uh, we'll have uh, just all IJ passion uh, flowing uh, in between the three of us. And, uh, you know, now that I've actually said that out loud, it sounds pretty gay, but uh, you guys get the gist. Um, but before we get into that, um, I wanted to, you know, uh, think of the most tactful way to do this. And I really just cannot come up with a more like a, a tactful way that it just sounds smooth. Um, we have uh, five sponsors at the moment that sponsor the show. And these aren't people that are, you know, that I'm making money off of. These are actually um, at, at the time reaching out. And even still, Krauss Radio is not the most well-known uh, podcast out there. And that's okay. But I wanted to associate Krauss Radio or the brand thereof um, with companies that I have done business with for years that I've been a customer with. So I reached out to these guys and said, Hey, you know, if you can send me products from here, from here and there, and let me do, uh, let me feature them and kind of do exclusive content with my YouTube channel and sponsor the show. I'd love to partner up with you guys just to put my name with yours. And so we've got five and I've tried to think of how to, um, you know, talk about them and name drop uh, throughout the show. I've tried it in like, you know, hey, we have to take a break here because uh, Corrales Radio is brought to you by blah, 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 blah. And it just sounds so 
rehearsed and I feel dumb doing it. So we're going to talk about, we're going to go run through our five sponsors real quick while everybody's tuning in um, and they're not bored yet. So uh, if you guys want to listen to the show, you got to listen, listen to my spiel. And that's what I'm going to do every, <laughs> every time. So um, first we have Reptile Basics Incorporated. Um, they're pretty much a one-stop shop for your collection, big or small. I've known Rich for a long time. He makes exceptional racks. His cages are top-notch. Uh, when uh, Fine Green Tree Pythons, Greg Maxwell's company, when he sold his entire company and collection, he sold them to a guy that lived an hour and a half away from me in Orlando, and I had the opportunity of driving down and looking at that collection in person that just so happened to be 100% outfitted with um, Rich's Reptile Basics uh, display cages. They were the 34 by 18 by 18, I believe. His cages are awesome. They really, really are a great product, exceptional customer ser- customer service. He's also got a bunch of husbandry stuff. So if you need, you know, substrate or whatever you need for your collection, doesn't matter the size, Rich will get you hooked up. Let him know I sent you. You can find him on Facebook or on his website at reptilebasics.com. Next, per, next uh, company up is Pangea Reptiles. You guys know I love geckos and I love bioactive uh, herbariums, and that's where Pangea comes to, uh, to play. They've got a great selection of geckos, and if you are into bioactive setups, everything except for, like, isopods and springtails, which you want to put in your bioactive uh, substrate, they can get you taken care of. So also on Facebook or PangeaReptile.com. Forrest Fanning, who's a personal friend of mine, I've known him for years uh, since, you know, 2006, I believe, was the first time we met, and it was at the Daytona Expo. Um, you can reach him on Facebook at coldbloodedcafe.com, or you can uh, – let me get his uh, email. He just sent it over to me today because I didn't have it. Um, his email address is admin at coldbloodedcafe.com for all you holdouts that don't want to uh, get on board with Facebook. Although I don't, bl- I don't blame you, uh, Facebook is kind of the way to get in contact with people and to be in the loop. Also, we have David Brems, who I have known from the Condra community for a long time. Great dude, very, very fair. Um, and he's kind of found a niche, and that's making perching products and uh, touch conversion kits for those that don't want to spend, you know, $500 on a cage. He has a, really, a lot of really cool stuff on his website as well as his Facebook page, specialtyenclosuredesigns.com. Again, that's David Brands. And last but not least, shipyourreptiles.com. Um, I used to ship reptiles through FedEx, and then when Ship Your Reptiles came along, I jumped uh, ship and started using them. And at first, it was just because they would insure my animals, whereas me just doing it myself, I couldn't do that. But then I just started saving a lot of money. I actually tallied up all the money I was saving, and um, it's been a great partnership. So if you guys haven't had a chance yet, go through, check all these folks out. They're good, solid solid companies. They provide good services, good products. They get you taken care of. They're not going to um, hurt you in the wallet. And uh, some of them will offer deals if you let them know that you heard about them from the Corrales Radio podcast from Jeff and you're coming over just because he said to to go over and check them out, they might actually take some some uh, some money off your first order. So uh, can't go wrong there. If you're looking to get more into uh, what Corralis Radio is all about, you can check us out on our website at Corralis, 
www.crowell-radio.com or you can email me at crowellsradio at gmail.com. If you want to um, just get a, just shoot me a PM on Facebook, that's actually probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. But uh, anyway, we've got a fun show. I appreciate everybody uh, hanging in there. Um, we actually have a caller. I don't know who that is yet. We have our two guests, which I'm going to bring uh, Stephen Katz and Eric Burke on. And we have a uh, 626 number, which I'm not sure who that is. Or maybe it's a – who do we have on the line, actually? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Hello? Yep. Who do I have Can on the line? Can you hear me? Line? Yeah. Hello? Hey, I'm just calling yep. in to listen. Cleaning the reptile room and just calling in to listen. What's your hey? Who, what's your name? This is uh, Tony. Tony Dora. Oh, right on. What's your uh, area code so I can? Seven six zero. If I know. Who. Oh, okay, right on. So, um, the eight five six is Eric, right? Yep, that's me. Awesome. Um, and I think uh, trying to get Stephen on. Stephen, can you hear me? Steven. Well, <laughs> the, his, uh, his, like I clicked him over and his little uh, symbol spinning. So, um, Steven, if uh, you can hear this, I'm going to, I'm going to hang up on you and you just call back. All right, cool. So, um, the spinning symbol. <laughs> yeah, the spinning symbol, the never ending spinning symbol. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, so um, fun show. What? How, how have you been, Eric? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to talk to my IJs. You know, Owen doesn't let me talk about them on uh, NPR, so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's fun to, uh, to be able to talk about my favorite carpet python. That's because they couldn't breed them, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't. I don't know why. They're the easiest ones. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. Um. So, uh, I think this is uh, Stephen now. Let's see if we can bring him on. Um. So yeah, I I've always loved uh, IJs, and um, they've I kind of talked about it a little bit briefly before um before we you know brought you guys on, but um. You know, mm-hmm. I actually before we got before we got into that, get into that, I kind of wanted to know how your collection's going. My collection? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> uh, as far as uh, IJs go, um, I guess we'll call them IJs for the show, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm up to. I think I have probably. 45 to 50 IJs currently in the mix, all different type colors and patterns and, you know, um, and just hope to selectively breed them to get them to the point where, you know, jungles are, um, that's the goal. So as far as everything else, oh oh, man, I have so many babies this year. Holy smokes. It's crazy. (laughs) It's (laughs) it's really a lot of work, man. (laughs) But, 
So, what? Like, what's new? Like, I mean, you guys seem the show seems to be taking off, and and you guys seem to be doing well. I, I've been listening kind of here and there when I can. And it seems like you guys always got something new going on. I mean, Carpet Fest seems to have been a big hit. It's now national. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, it's about to go international next year. They're trying to do one in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, everything's going good, man. The, the three main things that I do is uh, really uh, comes down to uh, my collection, EB Morelia, Morelia Python Radio, and Carpet Fest, and everything kind of revolves around that. Um, you know, uh, in Morelia Python Radio, we're in, what, uh, probably our seventh year, I think, this year. You know, so we've been doing that forever. Crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, I remember when you guys first yeah, started, it was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I listen back to some of them shows and it's it's crazy, you know, how much things have changed, uh, you know, in the hobby with me and Owen, uh, with some of the guests, you know, when they come back on and it's. It's really cool to be able. I'm, I'm sure you see that you have the same thing. You know, you pretty much have like this, uh, you know, audio um, uh, thing you can reflect back on uh, of your herpetoculture, uh, you know, journey, if you will. You know, meeting new people and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely so. a, a learning curve to it. Um, it's kind mm-hmm. of kind of crazy how how it. You know, personally, I try not to listen to any old episodes just because uh, <laughs> I don't like the way I sound. Um, right. But it, it's funny when you go back and you're kind of like, uh, like the first few shows, I was like, man, I was a nervous wreck. You know, like I was just like, oh, I yeah. sound like an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And now uh-huh. I sound like an idiot. I just don't care. Right. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't, you know, I think, I think with, uh, with us, you know, it it just comes down to, there's a certain chemistry between me and Owen and it just works. So, it, you know, he keeps me in check. I keep him in check and, you know, that's why we keep going at it, you know, but, uh, the one thing yeah. that stayed the same throughout all those years and all my in and out of different species and all this kind of stuff is, uh, uh, I've always had. IJs as a focus of mine when it comes to uh, to carpets. Um, they're just an awesome subspecies, and they don't get a lot of uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, people paying attention to them. But uh, that'll change, I think, in the next ten years. Um, yeah, I was first introduced right. to them um, by Luke Snell. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. You, you remember Luke, right? Um, I do. Yeah, Luke was I, like I know the I, yeah he. Was, he was like the IJ guy. I bought a G- um, he was. Oh, GQ? No, I was going to say I bought a bunch of Coastals from him way back in the day. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, he had nice Coastals, too. He worked with a lot of that red stuff. and uh, But he was like the first, um, like, real collection that I saw, you know. Uh, he invited me to come up to his place and check out his stuff. He, he lived like an hour and a half away from me. And, uh, you know, I was – uh, when I went up to see them, um, at that point, the only adult carpets that I saw was the stuff that Owen had. And um, I was just blown away by 
the IJs, I think the thing that impressed me most was uh, the size of their head. They have like a big, beefy, bulky head. And uh, I always liked like, uh, you know, their face. They have like those, those uh, white and black uh, right along, you know, like the lips and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they just, it just always caught my eye. And, you know, I wanted to do something different. You know, everybody at that time said, I mean, people are crazy about jungles and jungles are awesome, you know, but it seemed like that's where all the attention went to, or it was, you know, into some sort of morph. And um, right. there's so much selective breeding possibilities with these guys. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I mean, I have you know, banded and striped, high orange, high yellow, uh, you know, high black, melanistic stuff, uh, you know, pinstripe stuff, chocolate type stuff that I call. It's, it's just, you know, there's just so many possibilities uh, when it comes to these guys. Um, so, and they're so easy, <laughs> they're super easy. They don't yeah. get big. I mean, if you're looking to keep, like, uh, you know, a smaller carpet, uh, you know, even though carpets don't get that big, IJs are probably uh, the smallest, uh, you know. And, and they're, they're pretty bulletproof, um, you know. So, yeah, I love them. Yeah. I'm trying to get Steven on here. He He's called in a couple times, and um, maybe we can get him on this time. I keep clicking on the unmute button. And it just keeps spinning, just keeps so I don't spinning. know what's going on. Yep. Um, mm. It's one thing. One thing I, I, I mean, easy to use, but uh, dude, sometimes I have technical issues with them. I don't know if you guys see this on your end on um, NPR, but it's like oh, yeah. beyond yeah. frustrating. Like yeah. beyond frustrating. It'll like drop calls and stuff, and I'm like, oh come on. Yeah. So yeah, I. I I've I've wanted to move that for a long time, but you know when you have that, you know, three hundred plus episodes, it's not an easy task to move it from one spot to another. You know, so. <laughs> oh yeah, you you lose all that content. Yeah, I think you so, would. Yeah. So. And I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> let me. I wonder if I can call. Can we call him from? Like yes. while we're on the Yes, line. we can. We can? I'm going to try that. Let me see if I can call him up real fast. Because um, copy and paste his phone number in there. Learn something new every day. Let's try it. Yeah. Should work. I've had to do that a couple them. times. <laughs> Um, yeah, kind of frustrating. And I'm not like the most patient guy <laughs> in the world, so. <laughs> you want to get away from blog talk then? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Do it while you can, man. Do it while you can. <laughs> um, so kind of funny, I, you know, i I uh, went through a divorce like a while back and I had to pretty much sell everything I had. And so I've just started um, as of the last few years, kind of putting a collection back together. Um, And I've Mm -hmm. got uh, five babies that I'm raising up. um, And then I've 
obviously have uh, the one from your clutch I'm looking at uh, bringing in and uh, two from two different clutches uh, that Stephen produced. So hopefully I mm-hmm. can get some some uh, good stuff, you know, coming in. But um. Oh uh, yeah, from the well, Tiger Clutch, right? That's the one you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for some reason, this isn't working with uh, all of them. It's just it's just dialing. Mm-hmm. Let me, um, I'm going to refresh this. So, um, let me ask this one tonight. It's like, I just refreshed my screen and it said, uh, it said service unavailable. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Now, now we're back on. So hopefully everything's good. Um, let me chat him again. Tell him to call in again. Hey, for everybody okay. that's listening, I apologize. You guys, um, you know, we're real professionals over here. So, um, well, the way I was thinking about getting into the to this is, I was going to kind of do like a roundtable. So I was going to, I had some questions I wanted to ask, and then if I okay. could get, you know, uh, Eric, since you're on the line, I guess I get you to start off, and sure. um, then if we can bring Stephen on, he can kind of chime in as well, um, to kind of, okay. Um, Oh, Steven, are you there? I'm here. Can yeah. you hear me? Cool. <laughs> now we can. We I did it. What was going on? <laughs> Man. I hate blog talk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, um, yeah. Who, who hosts their show on blog talk? <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. So um, what I was thinking is we will have some questions. Uh, I'll I'll ask them, and then uh, Eric, you can answer, and uh, Mm -hmm. Stephen, and then you come after. So um, Eric kind of already talked about this, but I'll have him uh, briefly rehash it. Um, First question is I want to know, like, what brought you guys into working with uh, Papuan carpet pythons and like what it is that attracts you most to them? Started with so yeah, like I said, yeah, like I said, um, you know, my first uh, real introduction to a real collection of carpet pythons was with Luke Snell from Morelia Wonderland. He's not in it anymore, but back when I was getting into it, he was kind of the IJ guy. Um, that was like 2006, 2000, yeah, six, something like that. And, um, you know, I just went up and saw what he was doing and, uh, I was just impressed with them so much because I was looking for something different, something that, uh, was still carpet python, but, uh, something that, you know, I wanted to be one of the guys that was in the driver's seat of making a, you know, selective breeding and, and, and having a line and all that kind of stuff that, you know, uh, other than not doing it with jungle. So it's like, well, what are you going to do it with? I saw these. I think the thing that I like most about them, like I said, is uh, they have this big, beefy, chunky head more so than any other carpet. Um, and they're just, they, they stay small. They're, they're pretty easy. They're easy to keep and they're easy to breed. So, you know. Unless you're stuff. Owen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's going to get so pissed. <laughs> no, no. He's used to it by now. <laughs> 
Uh, how about you, uh, Steve? Um, for me, that's that's hard to say. I mean, I always joke that uh, Red Lie were my first snakes, and IJs, because that's what they're called, <laughs> were my first uh, carpet python. Um, and so I've just always had a gay soft spot for them. Like they'll always hold a special uh, place in my heart. And when I got them, it was probably right around 2007, 2008 that I first started getting, um, Erie and Jaya's and there was no, I, I didn't know you could selectively breed stuff that like, that wasn't even a thought in my mind. I just thought they were so cool looking. Um, I thought they were kind of better looking than jungles. Honestly. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jungles rock, but I was just drawn to them, you know, their, their natural beauty. Um, and I got, really into them most recently with the idea like Eric of wanting to select uh, selectively breed them and do more with them. Yeah. I think that um, if you're into earth tone colors for for snake species, I don't know how you could pass up IJs really. I mean, they are kind of the epitome of that earth tone color with, you know, they kind of cover the whole gambit. So, a little bit about selective breeding. I guess that kind of brings up one question I wanted to ask you guys. Do either of you know how many lines um, there are in the just in the U.S. and um, maybe we could talk a little. Ooh. And Stephen, you're on you're on the side of bringing in new stuff, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that as well. But let's let's do. Eric, do you know? Uh, I want to say there's probably. I mean, there's uh, Reptilicus, there's Bell, there's uh, Spitfire. We had a bunch of different lines of stuff. Um, there's VPI. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, Striking Serpents there's was the another one that came up. Um, Nyoka stuff. So I would say there's, yeah, I would say there's, yeah, uh, maybe 10, 12. I mean, Ed Lilly has, uh, I have stuff from him. Ed Lilly did, uh, he did stuff from wild caught animals, which actually turned out really cool. Um, so that's a line. There's the stuff that we brought in, what, two years in a row, I think, Stephen, that, that Stephen brought in that I got through him. And, you know, there's, I got all, I got a lot of um, wild caught stuff and captive patch through Zach Baez, stuff that he was amassing that he let go. I, I, there's got to be at least, I would say at least 15, maybe, maybe, maybe more. So as far as carpets go, they really, this is like unique to any other um, really species or carpet python species in that there's more um, genetic diversity than the other, you know, like jungles and coastals and stuff like that, because all that stuff originates from the mainland of Australia, whereas the IJs are, you know, Auckland is, I guess it's, um, is it just Papua New Guinea or what, where they come from? That depends on who you ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's a few different sources that they come from. <laughs> what do you guys know? I mean, there's the talks, like, depending, depending on who you ask, there's, and what importer you're going through, um, 
where exactly they come from, but uh, what is it, Maroke, Marokawe, however you pronounce it. Um, There's stuff that apparently comes out of there, then um, which would fall on, I believe, I'm not looking at a map, and my geography is not solid, but I believe that's on West Papua side. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. And then there is, depending on who you ask, which I would not say the Nova uh, guineas are the same thing, uh, the NG um, stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, yep, yep. Yeah. Then so someone would argue that that's one locality and someone would just say that's a different subspecies um, altogether. Um, and then there's the farms um, that are on more of the eastern side because they kind of draw a line straight through the island um and apparently stuff comes from all around there but kind of more on the south area but it doesn't matter east or west so again it depends on who you talk to i haven't been there i would love to go and kind of see for myself if there's a difference if there's overlap um and find out more are these are did it and just tell me if you guys don't know but do you guys know the elevation these are coming from? Are they coming from stuff that's kind of high up? Are they coming from, like, the uh, lowland uh, rainforests? No. Or... no, they come from no, uh, uh, basically like where you would find a Darwin up in the uh, – I mean, it's pretty much identical to the top end of Australia. Like where you would find diamond carp- or Darwin carpets, it's pretty much the same, mm-hmm. you know, like what would you call it, open woodland forest? type of thing, not rainforest. I wouldn't call it rainforest from what I know. I've always wondered if the if the uh DNA variance is that far off from the Darwins. Because you know well, you might think that we're gonna say yes. My my IJs are my precious. <laughs> well IJs are more well uh, I think there was that Taylor thesis that was done and they were they were more closely related to actually Cape York. And if you look at Cape York carpets, okay. which now I, I actually have a pair of them, so <laughs> I can look at them, but uh, they look very similar in pattern, color. Um, there's a group on Facebook that just talks about Cape York carpets, and there's like uh, there's Archer River, and there's, a, there's another river. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but... And if you think about it, I mean, you know, Australia was connected there to New Guinea at one point, so it does make sense that they would yeah. they would look similar. Well, if you wouldn't mind, Eric, um, after the show's done, if you could do a, a scale count on the head and just plan on not sleeping tonight, let us know tomorrow what you come up with. Yeah, you got it, man. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the paper uh, on, on a few different animals to be sure. <laughs> Yeah. So um, yeah, I think kind of like what you guys were saying. um, One of the things that has attracted me so much to them is because I feel like there is they're so variable to me as far as like what colors um, and patterns they can come in. I do like that they're a little bit smaller. I do like that they're easy to keep and that they're um, fairly placid, you know. It, it's funny, um, I, 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 bought, I bought five baby uh, farm 
hatched animals from different clutches that Stephen brought in. And they are like my kids' go-to snakes. So, like, they don't, you know, and I've, it's funny because I had, like, my um, – my 15-year-old had a birthday party, and so some of my wife's friends came over to help out with all the girls and stuff like that, and some of them have little boys. And they came over, and they went straight to, like, the snakes, and they're like, oh, what can we hold? What can we hold? And they're asking about Womas, and I'm like, nah, don't want to hold those. I just got to where I can bend my finger again after getting bit last week for my Womas. Um, what about the Amazons? No, no, not the Amazons. How about, like, let's pull out some baby uh, – Erin Jaya carpet pythons, and they love them. And uh, those, they're just so placid. Yeah, awesome. They That's rock. Good. They're the best. They're... <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, so, kind of the way I wanted to get into this is I also wanted to talk about husbandry. And um, I know Eric used a lot of rack systems and stuff like that. Uh, Steven, I don't know if you use. Mm-hmm mostly racks, cages, or a combination of both, but um, maybe, like, someone that's like, eh, I like to look at the IJs, but I don't really know, like, what I would need to keep them in as far as an adult size. Maybe you guys could walk us through that, starting with Eric, how you do it, um, and then, Stephen, maybe you could follow up with how you do it as well. And, again, guys, lots of different ways to keep these animals. I'm just kind of, you know, food for thought out there so that people can, you know, apply it to their collection and whatever their resources are. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as far as IJs go, because they're smaller, I keep them in uh, racks. I use those uh, um, vision racks. Um, I don't know. I just find that for whatever reason, they're super easy to use. Uh, I do find, I, I think it might be an East Coast thing, um, but I do find that uh, IJs can get a little picky during the winter time with dry heat. So uh, I really have to work on trying to make sure that, uh, you know, that's not a factor on, on them. Um, sometimes I turn a humidifier on just for a little while in the room, in my room. Um, but, you know, I find that for the most part, racks really just keep, keep that going. Um, I guess if I was going to say if you were going to put it in a cage, uh, I would probably say a three-by-two would be, you know, sufficient for an IJ. Um, and then if you, you know, really want to go all out, you go four by two, you know, um, but you really don't need anything bigger than, than that, in my opinion. Um, I, I really haven't found that IJs like to perch. Um, they, they're not really a perching carpet in, in my experience. Um, so I don't know, to, to put perches and all that kind of stuff to me is, is kind of a waste. Um, the one thing that they do do that's, kind of crazy and steve will probably agree with me with this but for some reason ij's love sitting in their water bowls um they just they <laughs> yep. just are always in their water bowls man oh my, I, I don't, my I don't know what do it, that. i don't know what it is every one of my babies that i got from steven loves to hang out in their water bowl i have temp gunned them so many times i'm like all right it's not too hot i don't know what's going on yeah, they just like sitting in the water. I don't know if it's like a security thing, you know. I, I, I but so I make sure that uh, they have uh, something that they can get into and, and soak into. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Now, Eric, is a is a water bowl the same thing as a water bowl? 
just I, I just want to clarify uh, yeah. for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot I'm from Philly. <laughs> water. <laughs> we don't say water. We say water. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Jeff and I are from California, so we say it right. Right. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually from I'm an East Coaster brother. I'm from Florida. I've only been out in California for four or five years. Oh, that is right. You did oh, tell snap. me that before. <laughs> but He's adapted I can very fast, you, very quickly. I, I can promise you there are things uh, that my family has said that no one in the country would understand, except from there. <laughs> yeah, like John. You know what a John is. <laughs> Yeah, that's a silly thing. <laughs> uh, my my wife, the first time she came down south, and she, I took her to a Cracker Barrel, and she was like, the waitress was like, "Well, hello, sugar, how you doing?" <laughs> and she was like, "Whoa, I am not <laughs> California anymore." <laughs> nice, that's funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, Stephen, all right. So, like, your your IJs, how how do you? Oh wait! Before we move on to that, um, with racks, uh, Eric, what what size rack? You said the vision racks. Do you what size tubs are, are like the like the big boa tubs or? Um, I I uh, I use V seventies. Um, that's what I use. I do okay. have uh, yeah, and for like the smaller ones as they grow up, I use the V thirty fives. Okay. Cool. All right. You're up, Steven. Um, For how I keep mine, uh, well, before I forget, yeah, 100% agree that uh, IJs just love to soak. And so if I didn't use Frontline, I would think that they always had mites. Um, but they they just love it. I've given them a hide cave and fake plants. I've actually tested this to see what they want to do, and they still love to get into that water. Um so it'll be interesting. Like I said, one thing I really want to do is travel over there and see, try and see them um, in the wild. That'll be really neat. But gotcha. as far as how I keep mine, I do a combination of racks and cages. So I have a few different cages, um, some that are 4 by 2 by 2 some that are 5-footers in length with similar uh, width and height, and then a couple 6-footers. And I kind of do that. I keep just a few cages so that way I could rotate animals through. Of course, I do a deep clean in between, but that way everything gets to be on display for a a short period of time just for my own pleasure. Um, I start babies, all carpets, but since we're talking about IJs, I start my IJs in eight-quart tubs and then move them up. Um, I use the Vision Rack, and so I think it's um, their V35 tub. Um, for anywhere from yearling to two-year-olds, it kind of depends on, you know, how they're growing because everything eats differently. Mm-hmm. And then I move them up from, from there, um, anywhere from an actual cage to a uh, 28 or 32-quart tub. And I have some adult female IJs in um, the BOA vision tubs, so those big... Uh, the biggest tub they make. Oh, yeah, those are huge. Right. Um, 
and so they have plenty of room to stretch out. I would agree. Um, for the most part, they don't really perch, um, but a lot of the adult carpets, in my experience, just kind of want a platform in general. Um, these guys love their water bowls, and it's always interesting to see the captive bred ones versus, like, the field-collected ones that I've brought in and the farmed hatch ones, and they all kind of go to the water bowl the same way. Um, doesn't matter how hot or cold it is, they'll dive right in and uh, flood the cage if they had if they had the chance to. <laughs> you know, it's funny with the perches. I I had thought of once mine gets big enough to to put in adult cages, I had thought of going up to like Home Depot or Lowe's and buying some of those uh, thick um, they're for fences, um, but they're you know pressure treated. They're pretty big posts um, and just kind of making like tea like teeth uh figurations um in the in the i don't know if figuration is a word but you guys know what i'm trying to say like making tea tea perches like where you got one that goes the right. entire length of the cage and then you got one that goes and touches the back wall um out of those right because those those posts are pretty big and i would think that that would give them a little bit more surface area to drape on but um that's something that's just i was thinking about i don't know if it would work or not especially now that you guys say that yours don't perch that much. Yeah. I mean, no, I, the, I I think reptiles have taught me, like, anytime you go the extra mile, they'll just shit on you for doing so. So, like, if you did that, they wouldn't perch. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was meaning to make a post last night that the way to get a baby carpet python to not eat is by saying that's a holdback, like set it up separately, say like that's that's what you're holding back, and it won't eat. And I was about to make that <laughs> post last night, and because I was about to make that post, guess what? It finally ate. <laughs> like, nice. They just want to prove you wrong. <laughs> so, are you guys housing your uh, your? Do you guys house any communally um, year round, or you keep them separate? Well, uh, pretty much during breeding season, uh, I put, I introduced it. So IJs, they, to, in my experience, they don't need a cool down really at all. Um, they're usually the first to breed, first to lay, first to hatch. Um, it's just like, I think if you were going to, if there was going to be a carpet that you could breed year round, I think that, uh, uh, IJs would be the one, um, so come come breeding season, which uh, I would say for me now is like December is introductions. Uh, I just put them together, and I don't take them out until the female is ovulated, and you know she's in her pre-lay uh, type of deal. Then I pull them out. So for a good what I don't know five months they're together. Yeah, I mean they're not very big. I, I, the reason I I bring this up is because I was talking to Justin Julander uh, probably a couple months ago, and he was telling me that, you know, he pretty much all of his carpet pythons he always houses them communally, either in 1.1 or 1.2, and uh, there's there's not very many people that do that. I was thinking, well, you know, I do. You might be able to get away with that because they're fairly small. They're easily you know, Hannibal, you know, um, and feeding and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, I was wondering if any of you guys did that. I might try it. You know, I'm not sure. 
I have kept carpets communally. I have done that. Um, oh, you have? And I've had great success. Yeah, just not with IJs. Um, you know, uh, I've done it with great success. Uh, no issues at all. Yeah. They bred. They ate. It, you know, sometimes feeding can be tricky, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's what keeps you on yeah. your toes. <laughs> yeah. But, right. Yeah. yeah. You got to be. So one thing that uh, folks, some folks have kind of mentioned that some men might steer them away from IJs is that they're prone to respiratory infection, uh, infections, especially during the winter time or during breeding season. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys, um, uh, I had one, one IJ that was a wild caught. Um, I'll just be completely, you know, complete disclosure. I, I had an IJ uh, that was a wild caught uh, several years ago that was very prone to getting respiratory infections. It, it seemed like every year it would get one. And so I never could really breed it, but you know, we're, you know, there's been a, that's, that was a long time ago and there's a lot of different, you know, IJs that are, you know, they've been reproduced over and over and over again in captivity. So I was kind of curious what you guys experiences have been with that. If you feel like sharing. Uh, comes to respiratories. I would say definitely they, uh, they're de- I mean, out of my car, I don't really, I, I've had like maybe three respiratory infections since I've been doing this. Um, but I have found that with adult IJs that I am working with, or if I bought an adult, um, the thing that I learned is that you sort of have to transition that snake into how you keep from how they were kept. So I think what a lot of people do is uh, when they get a snake, they set it up the way that they, they want to set it up. And they never take into account where, especially if it's an adult and it's been in a collection for a long time, uh, I mimic what that person did and then slowly work them into what I do. I think the respiratory, as crazy as it's going to sound, I think that a lot of people keep, I mean, me and Luke were talking about this way back in the day, and I was having some trouble just getting them to breed and just getting them to eat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Too hot. They keep them way too hot. You know, uh, 85 is the hottest hot spot that I give IJs. I mean, I'm internally incubated uh, clutches at that. You know, so it's like a 78 to 80 ambient, 84 to 85 degree hot spot that's on for, wow. you know, 12, 12 hours or eight hours, something like that. You know, um, and then at nighttime, there's no heat at all. So whatever the room is, that's that's what it is. I think that there's, they stress a little easier, uh, which is why I think that they, they get in their water bowls a lot. Um, so it's, huh. I think it's just the environment that they come from. It's just the steady temperature. I mean, if you look at, you know, really the, the temperatures from where they're from, it's just pretty much a, doesn't really fluctuate all too much. So if, I, I found that once I adjusted that, I had no issues with IJs at all. Wow, that's have interesting you, have, to hear. Have, have, yeah, I was wondering what your thoughts were, Stephen. In my experience, I was going to say those are the same temps that I house my Brazilian rainbow boas and emerald tree boas. <laughs> you know, is like eighty-five degree hot spot. You know, so I, that's kind of that's interesting. So, what do you what do you do, or what have you seen? 
I've actually taken my IJs almost as cold as I've taken my breadline and had no issues. Now, these were yeah. animals that, that I grew up when they were small, so they were already in my care. I would agree that if you got any new animal, like as an adult, and you try to rush things, um, it would probably suffer just because it's not used to how you keep it, whether it be hotter or colder. Um, and so growing stuff up in your system, the way you do things, is best. Um, in terms of like more susceptible to um, respiratory infection, I I wouldn't say that. Um, like I said, I I got mine cold and had zero issues. Um, but I would agree. I know Eric mentioned earlier um, in the show, like really early before I got uh, on, that he listens back to some of the old shows and says, man, I can't believe we did things that way. And it's kind of funny because I think the first episode I did on NPR with them, I talked about how I gave my stuff like a hotspot of like 90 um, across the board, like all of my carpets. And I've really changed that. And now most things uh, across the board get a hotspot of like 85 to 88 and, you know, working the room temp, you know, ambient, um, in the low 80s to upper 70s. And so that's kind of what now I've you, trans- transitioned into. Now, you guys are offering hot spots as in belly heat, like you, right? Like that's you're kind of letting the room kind of dictate the majority of the tub, and then they have that hot spot that's around 85, 86 degrees, 84 degrees. Um, is that what I would yeah. 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 The only, the only, I keep all my carpets that way, except for my diamond pythons. Now diamond pythons is the opposite. You know, they get a hot spot of like 95 for a shorter amount of time. The ambient is maybe 70 degrees. So, right. But they're, I think, I think, I think humidity is a big, is just as important. Like um, when you're dropping snakes, uh, down to, you know, 70 degrees and stuff like that. I think it's important because, um, you know, if your cage is too dry, you could have the same the same results from, you know, misting the crap out of your animal and dropping the, the core body temps as well. You know, they both could result in respiratory infections. Um, so what is the humidity like yeah. in your cages? I mean, I don't, I've never focused on humidity as far as I don't measure it at all. I don't, I don't, I just, you know, I guess it's, uh, I'm going to take a Keith McPeak uh, reference, but finding the rhythm of your room. Um, you can just walk into the room and know that the humidity is off a bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, like I said, being here on the East Coast, it gets cold in the winter, so you got that dry heat. I've found that that becomes, you know, I think that's like where a lot of the missing chondros comes from and stuff like that, because, you know, a lot of those guys are from Maryland and it's pretty much the same, uh-huh. you know what I mean? It's the same type of temperatures. Yep. So how, how do you, how do you combat that? I found that I don't like spraying cages. I don't like, I don't like doing that. I found that, you know, I just use a little humidifier in the room. I bought it off Amazon. It was like maybe 30 bucks and you know, I'll just run that for a little while and then it, and it puts it back to where, you know, it feels right. It doesn't feel dry. Um, I mean, if I go outside and it's dry, it affects my, 
you know, breathing. So I would imagine that it must affect, the snake, you know, a snake as well in some way. I don't think that the, the respiratory infections, in, in my experience with carpets, particularly IJs, really comes down to stress more than temperature. I, I think that's where people sure. get confused. They think because it's cold that that's what it is. I don't think it has anything to – I mean, they can withstand temperatures. You know, as Steven said, he's dropping his down as, as low as bread lie. And, like, whatever my room is during the winter, there's no heat on at night in the wintertime. Like, nothing, you know. So whatever yep. that room is, that's what it is. You know, it's like 30 degrees outside. I'm sure that my room is, you know, I mean, maybe 70. Maybe sometimes it drops down to 68, you know. I don't know. Yeah. But Well, I mean, stress doesn't weaken the immune system, and I think that the the respiratory infections are definitely a product of a weakened immune system. system. Yeah. Um, so that makes, that makes sense. Uh, Steven, like, do you – I mean, you're, you're, are you guys, I guess some folks might get away with it because they use mulch as substrate or whatnot. Some folks use paper. Um, but, Stephen, what, what, what are your cages like with, with humidity or moisture or whatnot? Um, here in SoCal, um, it's generally about 40% uh, humidity naturally. So I don't alter it. I've never been one to get a gauge and put it in my cage and say, like, oh, humidity is this, but I need it to be higher or lower. I've never worried about that. Um, I've always gone off of the fact that if they shed in one piece, humidity must be right. I know that kind of sounds like a half-assed thing, but if you if you take a minute to think about that, if a snake's able to just shed in one piece, no issues, it, it's got to be right. Um, it's so simple for it to be just a little too dry and a snake have a terrible dry shed, which I think in all the years that I've kept stuff um, has maybe happened with two carpet pythons um, in my entire time. Um, it, it doesn't really happen with carpets. That said, I keep all of my carpets, um, if we're specific, the IJs on anywhere from cypress molts. I kind of, I start them on that. Um, to newspaper and paper towel for babies and even pine shavings and still have no issues, um, again, across the board. Okay. Well, so how, okay, so move it, like talk about breeding. You guys are talking about, you know, and I, and I can't relate this to, I've never been over there, but I have lived in an equatorial climate um, when I was down in South America. And uh, I think, uh, I believe it was Eric that said it earlier, but there there is very little um, temperature uh, drop or, or whatnot in those types of, of habitats. So um, you guys mentioned that, you know, you really don't do anything with temperatures. So you pretty much leave the hot spot the way that it is and whatever the room fluctuates to gives them the cues to breathe, you think? or So, what, like I said, what I do is basically I – so start usually my, my cue is Halloween, and I don't feed uh, the animals all of November. I don't feed them anything. Um, 
but the temperatures stay the same. Um, and then once December rolls around, uh, that's when I would start dropping temps. Uh, I just introduced anything that's a spring or a winter breeder, I introduced. So like, you know, jungles, coastals, Darwins, IJs, uh, they would be together. And then I would just keep them together and uh, the heat just turns off at night. You know, I don't, I don't really pay attention to, uh, you know, luckily being on the East Coast, I don't have to worry about, you know, like the room being not getting cold enough. Um, I think it's uh, just, you know, again, figuring out that rhythm of your room. And once you got that nailed down, you know, you just kind of go, I, you know, one thing, just a tip for people, um, you know, like I kind of like level my carpet pythons according to where they're from in the room. So if you're from, you know, like red lie or lower, IJs are at the top at the Darwins, you know, so obviously, you know, it's a little bit warmer up at the top. And then that's it. Pretty straightforward. Uh, breed them and, you know, put them together and <laughs> you get babies. <laughs> I don't know. They're super <laughs> easy. <laughs> Shake and out comes eggs. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Steven? Um, I would agree. IJs are easy. Um, similar timeline, but generally I'm starting in like November. Um, California's weather is crazy, and so we'll get triple digits in <laughs> in November. Um, so it could be really tough because every year I think, all right, I'm going to be able to start, you know, cooling my animals, and then the following week it's just hot as hell. So oh, that dude. that throws yeah that throws things for a loop. Um, but I I gradually cool my room and the cages um, or tubs. So I'll, I'll turn down the uh i'll set a night drop and so i'll gradually turn them down um and then transition them in that way i still i keep feeding um in november but right around december is pretty much all done giving i still leave the hot spot um during the day to be 85 and i'll drop that right around december um because I need them to digest that food and previous meals. And once their system's cleaned out, then I'll start dropping their daytime temperature. I'll see so, locks you, happening. Go ahead. Before you move on to something else, how long are you at your lowest point? Like it kind of depends. I, oh, yes. It'll be all 12 hours. So that's why I okay. do it gradually. Um, gotcha. So if, let's say, in the summer... I have uh, my night temperature at 75, then when I start to cool, I'll drop it anywhere from one to two degrees first, and it'll be that for one to two weeks. I kind of, I watch my animals. I know it sounds crazy. Um, I spend a lot of time with them because I have insomnia. So <laughs> I'm constantly looking at them and seeing that, how they're reacting. And so I think that's why I have things um, dialed in pretty well is because I'm watching them. So... I drop them one to two degrees per week or whatever. Yeah, I should okay. uh, I should jump back in and just, you know, a big thing of my breeding carpets is cycle feeding. Um, so, like, right now, I'm feeding them every week, you know. Like, I never feed snakes every week, but any females or males that I'm breeding this season, they're they're getting fed, they're getting fed, they're getting fed. And I'll do that right up until, like I said, 
about October, I'll start to slow it down. And then they don't eat pretty much from November until March, you know. They don't eat at all. I don't, I don't all eat anything. All that you keep. All your pythons. All my carpets. All of my pythons? Oh, okay. No. So pythons. I'm learning that that's a little bit different with other pythons. <laughs> you have the 35 hey, hey, other pythons, pythons don't so matter. Are a little bit different, <laughs> but um, – I mean, that's true. It's been a hell of a learning curve, you know, like ring pythons I got. And, you know, they have a metabolism like a colubrid. Like, you got to feed them a smaller meal more often, and I'm just not used to that, you know. And, and it, it was a little bit of a learning curve. But, uh, you know, carpets, you know, they're super – when it comes to that, man, it's just that's just so simple, um, and it just works for me. So, you know, and gotcha. I, I think I, I probably my my temps probably go down gradually. I think the thing is, is like my room just does it. And I think that's what, like a lot of people they say, well, I don't do anything. I just you know I just put them together and they breathe. But your room, is, I mean, if it's thirty degrees outside, your room is is cooler, whether yep. you want to think yeah. it is or not. You know, or so. or the light period, the photo period. You know, that's the big – I don't know if you got, if you do that, Stephen, but uh, that's a big thing with me. Uh, I think, you know, learning from taking a page from a guy like Brian Young, um, you know, it just comes down to being consistent. Whatever you do, I think there's like, you know, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Like there's five different triggers. You could hit three of them and you'll have success. You know, you need to just hit three. It can be any three. It could be temperature. It could be feeding, and it could be lights. It could be temperature and lights and, you know, uh, humidity. Or it can be, you know what I mean? It can be, it, as long as you hit three of those things, then, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've have been hitting all five. I could just get away with doing just three? Yeah, man. You got you to gotta take a step back. <laughs> I got to dial it down and not. Yeah. That's just a fake number, but like I'm saying, is like right. there's 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 a certain amount of triggers that that hit. You have to hit a certain amount, and then you'll have success. But I think just be right. consistent with what those triggers are going to be. And to add to that, I would say be consistent every year with that. Pick something yeah. and stick with it. Once the animals get dialed into it, I mean, there's a million different ways to breed these animals, and let's say you're doing it the wrong way eventually your animals will get dialed into your wrong way and it's bound to happen even at the wrong way. And that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's bound to I happen. Think, I think that again, you know, I think with Boland's pythons or something like that, you know, uh, Halma Harris scrubs, which I've had in the past, like, you know, it's just about, I think that what happens with those species in particular is like, you know, you're, you try something and it doesn't work and then you change it. You're not giving that animal any time to adapt to the environment. So you just reset what it's going to do every year. You're changing it. Oh, that didn't work. Let me tweak this. That didn't work. Let me tweak this. Just if people would just focus on keeping the animal, I think breeding would just follow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Pay attention to what the snake's doing. Watch for, you know, is it, is it hugging the heat? Is it away from the heat? Is it like trying to get up into the corner of its cage so it can get away from the heat? Well, it's probably too hot. That's where me and Luke, you know, talking with Luke, you know, that was something that he noticed back then. He's like, you know, I always noticed that they're trying to get away from the heat. So, you know, I started messing around with it. So I lowered the heat. Because back then, you know, 2006, we we're talking 90-degree hot spots, 95-degree hot spots, you know, old python keeping wow. temperatures. And it's just too hot, you know. It's just too yeah. hot. Yeah. 
they don't need to be that hot. Agreed. I don't think I could breed at that at that temperature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> yes, and it's no. <laughs> I'm up in Northern California and we've had nothing but like triple digits forever. Like it's been like yesterday was 107 and it was hundred and something now. So um, it's kind of, kind of weird, you know, like kind of like what Stephen was saying earlier that um, it seems like, and I, and the only reason I'm saying this is I've seen this really, really consistently with Amazon tree boas. But the folks that are on the East Coast always get litters before the folks on the West Coast. And yep. I'm yeah, kind of yeah. wondering if if that's kind of similar to the way it is with pythons because I, I don't know. I You know, I, I've only been out here for five years, so I haven't grown up out here. Um, so it's, it's kind of new to me. I'm still learning. Totally change the way I've kept some of my animals since moving to California though. Um, just because I was having, you know, problems with shedding and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, living in Florida, I didn't have any issues with it, but. I mean, we yeah. already know that three hours ahead of us, so they got to be ahead of us at everything apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, right I, I, you know, I got a lot of Morelia friends out on the West Coast and, you know, you know, messaging them when breeding season starts and stuff. I'm always way ahead of them, you know, because it's just – and it's it's actually perfect that you have a West Coast and an East Coast because I think what people, you know, do when they – you know, it could be any reptile is that they, you know, they read a, a paper or something on somebody's uh, Facebook page or, you know, internet website or whatever and – and they just think it's a it's a formula like you're baking a cake. You're not baking a cake, man. You know this is like nope. uh, you're keeping an animal. So you have to adjust where you're from. You know, so Stephen keeps different than I keep because he's not dealing with the same conditions that I'm dealing with, and I'm not dealing with the conditions that you guys are dealing with over there. So, um, right, it's just about paying attention to the animal. You know, that's what people forget. Yeah, I'm trying to keep much my stuff year round. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't did that know. once with an IJ. I did that. I bred her out of season. Um, unfortunately, that's what also, you know, actually, let me take that back. I didn't breed her. She just bred, ovulated. I mean, she started to ovulate, so I put her with the male. And, you know, that was poison ivy, the melanistic IJ. And ultimately, again, the stress killed her. So. Hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I mean it's very it's very yeah. much a Mediterranean climate out here. I think um, compared to the East Coast, I mean, even you know, there's even humidity, you know, even in the winter time. At least on the East Coast, from what I remember, there is. I don't know how it is up in Philly, but um, yeah, you know, down in Florida and Georgia and stuff, there is. And you know, here it's we don't like <clears throat> Sacramento, like we don't get rain until like maybe December to March or, or April. And then you get no rain at all. This year was kind of an anomaly because we got rain up through June uh, sporadically, but uh, we, you know, it's, it, everything's dead. And then 
you know, once it starts to cool down and the rains come, everything gets green again. And then, you know, come springtime, everything dies again and it gets brown. Funny you mentioned rain. Uh, real quick, I'll jump in. This is another thing I kind of forgot about with breeding. Um, something that's key to, for me is introducing when it's snowing. You know, when there's a change snowing? in the pressure. Uh, snowing. Well, yeah, it's it, you know, snow for us, rain for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, I noticed I when that's... we have... Yeah, when we have really crazy winters, I have really good season. So, interesting. Have you seen that, Steven? I'm trying to think. I know that's um, a theory that I've seen online and talked about is introducing um, when it's raining. And I'll, I've even tried it, but I don't think I've seen one on nights that it's been raining. Not at least that I could recall in this past season. I'll check my notes and see. Um, but I know I try it. <laughs> oh, man. I've, I've heard about Pairs it. Pairs that with, won't go. Go ahead. I was just going to say with tropical species, I've heard it to be a pretty consistent uh, fix, uh, regardless of the species. But with the drier species like, you know, walmas, blackheads, stuff like that, maybe centralians, I have not heard it. But, I, you know. I've never tried breeding them, so I, I don't know. Probably somebody that like Nick or Tom Keoghan would probably be better to answer that. I think that they're more in tune with what's going on outside than we think, you know. Um, right. And I have I've had pa- pairs that I, 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 I'm getting no action at all. And, you know, I mean, you can listen back to NPR and at points and, you know, when we're banging our head against the wall because – we don't think we're going to get anything this year and nothing's taken or whatever. And boom, here comes the snowstorm. And then everything is breeding. Everything that wouldn't breed is now breeding, you know, and Owen's had the same, every, pretty much everybody that I've talked to here on the East coast in this area has said the same thing. You know, you look at, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when Nick was on reptile radio, it was like 2000 and, uh, nine and it was an El Nino year or something like that and he had a horrible year and then the following year it flipped and we had a horrible year on the east coast it was hard, like no, every I mean people got clutches but nothing like what they did vice versa the year before interesting so. it's kind of crazy how that works and, and you know you brought up a pretty good point um, uh, Eric you know I, I think it's funny too because um, a lot of folks will read a care sheet on a website or a paper or something like that. And like you were saying, they, they just kind of feel like, you know, it's like a mathematical formula. You have this, you know, as long as you can replicate that equation, you know, you're going to, it's going to equal um, a healthy clutch of babies, but um, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And I no longer keep Candoya, but I used to have a, probably one of the largest groups of, of Solomon Island uh, tree boas in the U.S. And um, it was like I couldn't figure it out. I'd have females that would get right up to, you know, they'd be full of follicles. I could palpate. I could feel them, but they just would reabsorb, and I couldn't figure it out. And I feel like, um, you know, you just have to be consistent. And, you know, if I, if I was to sh- – I wanted to – So when I sold the group, I wanted to keep them on the West Coast. And I actually 
place than with someone on the West Coast up in Washington. Because I felt like if I sold them to somebody on the East Coast, it would just totally screw everything up. They had been in my collection for over two years. They had been, I was getting the same signs from the females and the males every year, you know. So um, I, I guess the Python equivalent to that would probably, that theory would probably be with scrub pythons. You know, you, every time you ship them out, you're kind of like destroying, you know, the 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 annual. You reset the clock. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And you, you know, because I keep mine, you know, or because you keep your animals a certain way over in Philly, doesn't mean that the the guy that you know is living in Utah is going to be able to keep them the same way and get the same results, you know, and everything's going to be hunky dory. You know, you have to kind of take that into account. And I think that's something that's for the listeners. They really should buy an animal. Well, just buy the animal, but ask the guy that you're buying it from, how's it being kept? If you wouldn't mind taking a quick phone picture of the tub, just so I can kind of get my tub to look somewhat similar to that. You know, that's, that's what I try and do. Yeah. Mimic. Yeah. I, yeah. I put on my website, how I keep, and how I do things simply so that I can just refer somebody to that so they can see exactly what I do. It's to me, it's not really a care sheet for somebody, but you know, if you're buying a snake from me that, you know, this is what, this is how I keep it. So try to mimic this as best you can for a little while and then gradually change it to however you want. You know, I think it's a lot easier with babies, but it, you know, we're talking adults. It becomes a lot more, um, important that you know you follow that gotcha yeah no i i agree snakes two snakes that i sent to someone and they wanted to instantly upgrade the cage and do things differently and of course they didn't eat for like two to three months until they finally you know uh to how i kept the snake and they ate like the same day like it's really crazy to see that that a snake won't eat and then you can move it to how it was and it'll eat the same day in a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. You know, one of the things that really opened my eyes to this whole thing, like, you know, I, carpets are my love. That's my passion. That's my favorite pythons, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, keeping other species of pythons, I think I have about 30, 30 species at this point. You know, you start to learn these little things, and it fine-tunes other stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just look up to guys like Nick and Ryan Young and, you know, uh, Don Patterson's another guy who's keeping all these different species, and they're having, you know, success breeding them, you know. And it, I think it just makes you – you just you, you're paying attention more to the animal because these little things that work uh, with this species, and, you know, I don't know. That's just been my experience. Yeah, um, it's I I feel like it totally opens opens your eyes and makes you a better of the reptile, you know, and and just makes you more makes you a more well rounded keeper. But um, observation was key. Right, right. So there was one topic I wanted to kind of touch on, and it's more um, tailored to Stephen. Just, um, I, I, I'm just curious. Um, so, like, you know, Eric and I are on the receiving end of, of animals, but uh, Stephen, you're kind of on the um, 
receiving end like as far as like them coming in from the wild, you know, because you're bringing in animals. So I kind of wanted to talk about, I mean, obviously you don't need to give out details of like sources and stuff like that, but I want to know what, what the uh, importation process is like, like what you see, what kind of toll you see it take on the animals, like fresh off the boat when they come in, formation of said, you know, specifically IJs, what it's like. So to first kind of explain, just like anything, I mean, I we see across the board with all reptiles or animals for that matter, there are ways that people keep them properly and then there are ways that people keep them improperly and they're just suffering and miserable and sickly animals, right? Right. And so it's the same for facilities over there, um, and what importer you go through. If the importer isn't just looking to make a quick buck, they actually genuinely care about animals across the board. They're not going to support someone who sends them sick and dying animals. Or if they've gone to the facility, they're not going to support it, you know, in the long run. They might be in a, a sketchy situation where they need to kind of just buy a few and get out. I've heard stories like that. <laughs> Um, but otherwise they're not going to support it in the long run. So I've reached out to different importers and it's funny because a lot of people don't know this. Most importers don't want to deal with the public. They want to import and sell to shops. They want to move a lot of animals at one time and, uh, make their money and make it work for both parties, get the animals out of, uh, their native country and get healthy animals into their customer's hands. So that way their customer will continue to buy from them. Talk to sketchy importers. I've talked to the good ones. Obviously, I no longer uh, have relationships with the sketchy ones. The animals that I see coming in, the farmed hatched ones, the little babies, do best. They're just they're babies. They don't. They haven't had any time to get used to one way of keeping. Um, and even if somebody was going to keep them wrong, it it wouldn't be long enough that it's detrimental to their health, if that makes sense. So when they come over, they just, they acclimate, they, I treat them with front line, they settle in, they almost always eat right away. <clears throat> so I've had great success with that. Um, and so far, even though I tell everyone treat it like it's a wild caught animal, you know, get it tested so far. Um, I don't think anyone has come back to me saying that their animal has tested dirty for these farmed ones, which is good. The adults, um, I'm not going to really import too many big adults anymore. They don't, they don't do too well. Uh, and, yes, it would be cool to bring them in and add new bloodline and stuff like that, see what the animal looks like long term. But me caring about the animal, I don't want to put it under stress. Even if eventually it, it acclimates, you know, how long does that take? It's, it's under that stress for that um, X amount of days and I don't want to drag that out. So the, the smaller the animal, the better they do. That's, that's the truth in my so experience. Are, these, are, the, are, they, are these farm hatch babies, are, are they truly farm hatch, like as in the, the farms have, you know, parental founder stocks that they're 
consistently breeding with, or are these like just babies they're catching out of the wild sending over to you? So that's kind of the confusing part. And legally what is supposed to happen is they collect animals that they keep and they breed them um, on the farm year after year and send babies over. Just like green tree pythons, you can't um, send adults out of um, their country anymore, out of Indo, but it still happens. We still see wild-caught animals coming over, and what do they call them? They call them farmed hatch, but you you could tell it's clearly a wild-caught animal. Um, And so that said, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I didn't think IJs were illegal. I think it's just chondros. Correct. But in terms of how things are supposed to be done, uh, from what I hear, um, there's some legality on how they're supposed to be collected. Like, I I believe you're not supposed to go take a gravid female, take her to a farm, let her lay her eggs, and then re-release her and hatch those eggs. I believe if she's already gravid, she's supposed to be able to have them in the wild. From my understanding, based on who I've talked to. um, Gotcha. It's obviously with it being a different country and finding things online, you know, I've tried to do my research and figure it out, but I've tried to support what they say is the legal way, which is um, animals that are there on the farm that they collect and grow up and breed or collect just before breeding season and breed and stuff like that and then release the adults. Do I know that it happens and adults are probably collected and eggs are laid on a farm and then They either let the females hatch them maternal incubation or they incubate them and then send those babies over. Yeah, that probably happens. But in terms of what I am told and what I personally support is the way that they're being bred on the farm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm not naive is what I should say. (laughs) (laughs) I was just kind of curious because, um, you know, you see them coming in all different sizes, and you know, I, I guess it's probably safe to say, you know, like that you brought in quite a few um, babies that were all relatively the same size and stuff like that. So it's safe to say that those were probably part of a few different clutches that were hatched on the farm. You know, it, it would be it would oh, be quite the coincidence that. It would be quite the coincidence to find that many babies the same age, you know, and same size you know, all in the wild. <laughs> right. I mean, ask, like, what has been a, the biggest IJ clutch that you've had, Eric? Like, mine has been, I think, 21 eggs from this massive female that I, I grew up. Um, otherwise, I mean, 15, 15. 15 eggs. 15, yep. Right. So, that said, I mean, how big are the the animals over there in Indonesia? Are they... Uh, wild collected field collected adults or are they growing them up on the farm and how much are they feeding them and pushing them and so does that mean the clutches that they're getting are even smaller and so if I have 50 animals sent to me um, if an average is five to six um, five to six uh, babies per clutch per female does that mean I got 10 clutches 10 different clutches Um 
And so, yeah, they're not, they're not all related. And you could definitely see some stuff looks similar. And so you, you would assume, okay, these are similar size, similar color, pattern. These are probably siblings. And then you compare them to this, and you're like, this is, there's no way this is the same clutch. I mean, I get that carpets, you know, really vary. But you, you just see it, and it's like, wow. So there's a paper, I don't know if you know, there's a paper, uh, what is it, Distribution Ecological Attributes of Trade of Morales Below to Arizona. It was by um, uh, uh, Daniel Matouche did it. And the average, I think they did 247 IJs were collected. Um, The average clutch was 17 eggs. If you look at the size, uh, small, the smallest female was like 4.82 feet. The, the smallest male was like 3 feet. Um, the largest, what was weird is the male was like, some of the males, I think the largest male was 3,189 grams, um, which grow way larger than females, um, which is kind of, I don't know, it seems weird to me, but it's the opposite of how my males are. <laughs> But that's that's in the wild, yeah. Um, but seventeen eggs is uh, is about the average. Right. Did that's they say of that male bread? That'll be interesting. <laughs> well, was that? I didn't even know they had clutches that large. I thought yeah. that their average yeah. clutch was like nine to twelve. I had that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carpets will always surprise yeah. you. They could pump them. Out. I can hear you. I'm here. Okay. All right. Sorry, got quiet for a second. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I think with Erin Jaya's, I I feel like, um, they're kind of like they have a paint job for pretty much anybody. If you're, you know, if you're a big, big time color guy, um, they've got lots of different colors that you could kind of try and fine tune. But if you are more of a pattern guy, or if you like both, then you can try and mix and match and, you know, get things going your own way. And that's the, that's the thing I like so much about them is because there are new lines coming in. Um, We have the opportunity to really, we have the opportunity to take them above and beyond what jungles and some of these other species have, have come to because there's, there's more diversity genetically. Yeah. I mean, I always say that like with jungles, you pretty much have two colors. You have yellow and you have black. Now, granted you have different shades of yellow, different shades of black tipping, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, you're working with two colors. But with IJs, it's almost like you're working with four colors. You got brown. You got that khaki. You got black. You got orange. You got, you know what I mean? You got yellow. And it's like you can kind of like, you know, depending on where you want to go, you can kind of adjust to whatever, you know, whatever you're into. Um, yep. I, I was always hard. like that, that, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like that IJ that I posted the picture when we, I think you posted it on the thing you shared, but the first picture that I put in our chat, I was always a fan of that, like, almost like, 
you got that yellowish type of thing, but then the black is outlined, outlines the saddles, and then you have like this, you know, it, I mean, they go as far as orange, they go as far as brown, but just because you have right. that yellow, black, brown, or yellow, black, orange, or yellow, black, red, or whatever, to me, it just, it just pops more than the two colors. It's, it's, it's just me. That's why I like them so much, you know. No, I would yeah, agree. No, I would... Jeff was saying that we could take them above jungles, but I would say they're already there. Hold <laughs> 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 on, buddy. <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I'm excited to Dude. like. I I have a lot Steven's of stuff that... tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, IJ's IJ's are the bee's knees. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I'm working with and a, a lot of variety, but every time Eric posts something, I just, like, I got to tip my hat to him. He has an eye. Like, I mean, I'm, hopefully I'm not ruining something for you, but, like, he, he's working with something, you know, to make, like, a chocolate line of IJs. Like, just that alone, because you hear it and you're like, well, chocolate line, okay, it's brown. But then when you see the animal, you're like, okay, it's not just brown, it, it's chocolate, like, it's it's really funny, yeah. and I could see that he's going to have some, like, citrus IJs soon and then some high-red stuff, and I'm excited to see what he does with it because, like, he's going to do, you know, some high-red, high-orange stuff. I'm going to do it. And so we may both accomplish that goal, but they may look – the end goal may look completely different in the same amount of generations. And so that would then offer two different types of the same thing in reality which would be yeah. really awesome. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's there's this IJ I have, and it's from Poison Ivy, so it's the melanistic uh, stuff that I'm working with. Um, but what's crazy, and I have to take a picture of her, she was like the only female in the clutch. Um, she has like orange lightning bolts. On the side, on her sides, it's it's insane. Everybody I showed at Carpet Fest, this snake, they're like, "What the hell is that?" And I'm like, "It's just an IJ." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> you know, it's just like couldn't believe, you know, because it, it's hard to show it in a picture. You know, you, you're not seeing these subtleties. The other cool thing yep. about them is that they they fire up almost like a crested gecko. So like yep. you go in the cage at night or whatever, and you're like, what the hell is this? It has like this lavender to it. And it's insane. It's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, something that other carpets don't do. Um, I'll show, uh, I'll put a picture over for you guys of like, it's just a head granite, but the lavender in this thing is just, it's just nuts, you know, and there's so many possibilities that uh, you can go. And I, I'm, I agree. Like I'm always watching what Steven's doing as well, because, you know, he's kind of, we're kind of like trying to go about the same thing, but we're, we're dealing uh-huh. with different, you know, different stocks and different lines or whatever. And, you know, ultimately it's going to be cool because at some point, you know, people are going to buy from Steven and from me and they're going to take those lines and mix them together. And then who knows what's going to pop out, you know, then we're going to be buying from be- them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I think I think there's just so much possibility. I, I, it's it's amazing to me of what the you know what the present has, but also the future as well for these. And um, 
you know, I, I've kept a lot of carpets over the years, but, you know, when I got into, um, you know, the tree boas and stuff, the one that really, really kept my attention that I really missed were uh, the IJs, you know. So, yeah. One thing I want to add is um, Eric mentioned that, like, crested geckos and they have their color change, and I would agree. The other thing is do not ever decide to sell an IJ during the day because you'll regret it. <laughs> you'll regret it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go check right on, on your collection, your IJ collection at night, and then pick. Hold back for sale and whatever else, or needs more time here. I right. promise you'll regret it. Wow. <laughs> so true, so true. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I've seen that. They kind of, like, get that washed look, a lot of them at night, that makes their colors just more contrasting. Crazy. They do it the most. Of all the carpets I have, they do it the most, in my opinion. Um, right. It would be yeah, cool and, to, you know, to produce purple carpets consistently, or lavender, eventually. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that one you just post in the chat. Outstanding. Yeah, that was uh, that's from the Viking Reptilia line of granite. Uh, um, I bought it from Julie way back in 2012, but th- that animal is phenomenal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, you know, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but with the, as far as morphs go with IJs, you've got granite, the xanthics, and then you've got. I guess the tiger morph or is that like a fully bred thing? The what morph? Uh, tiger. Um, I think tiger. I think it's going to be the same. Is is I mean striping and carpet, in my opinion, is 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 polygenic except for you know bread lie if you want to lump them in as carpets, even though they're not. But right, you know that's different. Thank you. But I think uh, <laughs> yeah, I know right. I think that. Um, you know, I think it's going to work the same way, but I think what's going to be different about that is that's a particular line. Um, that's a specific line, and it's just called Tiger, you know. Um, mm. But I think I have other striped carpets. I don't be, you know. I do notice, and Eric Kohler is another guy that's, like, really working with that line. I think me and him are probably, besides Ball Cabana, are the only ones that uh, that really – work with that line um the crazy yeah, thing about it, that you line, guys won't share yeah, the, yeah right the crazy thing about that line is that babies hatch out and they're really light but the 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 thing of it is i don't know if you guys remember this maybe you do maybe you don't but you know boa cabana has that same same lineage that came from uh bob fudo you know where those those originated from and uh they produced this almost like albino looking thing from that line. Unfortunately, it didn't make it, but it came out of the egg. It's like, I, I have a picture of it somewhere. It's, it's insane. They put it next to like an orange crayon. And when you look at it, you're like, what the holy hell? So needless to say, that, I mean, Bo- that's another line of Boa Cabana that I work with. So I got a bunch of females and then I got that male. So who knows? Maybe something will pop out. Maybe it won't. You know, um, are, 
but it's fun to try. Are they still breeding Isers? I don't know if they're doing as much as they did. Uh, I usually see them at Tinley Park um, is usually when I catch up with them. Um, And and last year they were, you know. Um, I know they they produce – they really make some really nice hygiene. They're they're really top-notch. But, you know, they're dealing with all import, wild-caught, you know, captive hatch type of, of lineage stuff, so. Right. I've known about them for a while. I just haven't ever bought anything from them. That's because me and Zach bought it all. (laughs) (laughs) I picked up 2.2 Boa Cabana, or, yeah, uh, Cabana Line uh, IJs, and they have Uh to be, like, the worst eaters for me. And so... Really? Yeah, they, they just... I don't know, the male is uh I think he's like a 2015 and he's in an 8 quart tub. He's big enough to go into a bigger tub and every time I upgrade him, he does not eat. He just goes off food. The females have been upgraded, but this guy he's like holding out. Wow. Hmm. I swear yeah, if if uh fishing game shows up to my place ever, he'll be the reason they shut me down. They'll say it's inhumane. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if he's not growing. Yeah, he just, he doesn't, like, he's hit or miss on the food. He, yeah, he's he's my problem child. But because of what Eric mentioned with that, like, orangey, T-positive-looking animal, that weird thing that they once produced is why I picked up Boa Cabana line stuff. And I hope, who knows, we'll see if anything comes of this pairing. I need to get something from them because I I would love to add that wine. Yeah. Well, that one yeah. that one uh, clutch I did this year was a bulk about a male. Um, one of the ones that you were talking to me about. Um, <clears throat> the oh, other one yeah. that's like uh, you talk about morphs. Um, so there's two two projects that I'm particularly working on. Um, one is the melanistic. I think that from what I'm seeing, you know, uh, that uh, reminds me of the IMG gene in, uh, in Boas. Um, and how that came about is there was, there was a guy who was selling her. Um, and, of course, as soon as I seen that, you know, he knew I was an IJ guy. He reached out and asked me if I was interested, immediately picked her up. I posted her up on Facebook and Jake Milbrat had reached out to me and he said, Hey man, where did you pick that up from? And I told him and uh, turns out that back in the day he was working on this. He had a melanistic IJ project and a melanistic um, jungle project that he was working on. But this melanistic IJ project, he had picked up a pair of uh, these um, very, very dark, and and it's 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 hard to explain this because I've seen some people that post up IJs and they're dark just because they're just they're just dark you know they're not it's not the same it's a different look um, and there's a few people that have this similar look I think Terrell has something like it and I swear they're all from the same clutch. Long story short, Jake reached out to me and he, he bred them and the problem that he had is when they popped out they were all normal looking normal looking red babies so he's like well this is a big waste. So he, he wholesaled the whole clutch to Anthony Caponetto. 
So Anthony Caponetto, then he turned around and sold, you know, sold the IJs off to the guy that I got them from, and, uh, you know, there you go. But I think that's why you see, I mean, Stephen, you probably see them. There's a bunch of, of animals that look like, you know, like poison ivy did. So what I'm finding with the, you know, the offspring as, I, as I'm breeding them, um, when I bred right. her, I bred her to a GQ animal because I wanted to go completely opposite. Like there would be no way that it was selective breeding or anything like that. I wanted to see if it was an actual morph or, or you know, what was going on. So all the babies hatch out, they're all normal. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. So <laughs> I'm like, I guess there's nothing. So as they start shedding, they start gaining melanin. Um, and it's almost like a, I don't know how to explain it. It's like this hue that comes over them. But now I have animals that are almost almost look like poison ivy. So is it? That's the only thing I can think of. And there was there was a guy that posted up in Pick of the Week that had this Darwin that looks almost identical to what what she has going on. Um, but uh, you know, is it is it genetic? I don't know. Hopefully next year I'll find out. You know, but I have all that clutch um, and all that. I'd love to see some pictures of some of the offspring. I, I know you've kind of kept it under a tight, tight lid, but. Um, yeah, you know, I can share them with you. The reason I didn't put it out is because I don't want to be the guy, you know, I talk about it obviously because I do a podcast and whatnot and people are always asking me about it, but I, I don't want to be that guy getting into a conversation saying, this is a morph. I don't know if it's a morph. Oh you know? yeah. Who knows? Maybe it will just be selectively bred, but it's like, you kind of want to, you know, you don't want to put it out there until you kind of know what's what's going on. But no, yeah, so that's every project. Because I'm not wanting to see them because I think they're a morph. I'm wanting to see them just because they're kind of unique, and because I'd like to see a younger version of that came from poison ivy. Really, to me. Oh yeah. You know, to me, that's kind of especially the thing that I find the most intriguing is that. You know, they have um, typically, so, like, I'm kind of relating this to, like, chondras and stuff like that because I used to keep a lot of chondras. Typically, it's the opposite of what you've explained. So an animal that's born, you see, like, consistent melanism when it's younger, and as it gets older, it, it tends to lose some of that melanism and not it gain gain it. I mean, that's not always the case, but... A lot of times that that is, especially with, with at least with the chondros that I used to work with. Amazon tree boas are are different, but um, I, I think it's very interesting that yours kind of have sound normal and are now gaining more and more black as they as they age. So to me, that's kind of the most intriguing part of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat because every time you go in and you go and they shed, they're darker. Or, you know, the, like I said, I had this one, which is crazy. I mean, I love the way Poison Ivy looks, and she was awesome. But, like, this one with the orange, like, he's, it has, like, these orange just things that pop in in the side. It's like the saddle was reduced to, like a like, a stripe almost. It looks like a flame. It's just, it's nuts. You know, and I'm just like, wow. If I could recreate so this, this would be amazing. Is the clutch, is the clutch varying in degrees of black? Or are they pretty consistently even across the board? And you know how they how they are gaining black. 
So there's one that looks normal um, that really is just a really, really nice-looking IJ. Actually, it's high orange, believe it or not. And then the rest of them are pretty consistent gaining black. So the first thing I noticed is that the, you know, the, the skull and crossbones that they typically have on, the, on their head print um, would disappear, would, would, you know, it would till it's a solid black, you know. Um, right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. And then, like I said, it started getting this hue down along the side. That's just, it's crazy. See, to me, that sounds, because you said the sire was a GQ, right? Yep. So, like, to me, that orange, the, the orange, I don't know if you call it tipping or, or whatever you were referring to it as earlier, to me, that sounds very GQ-ish, like with that orange uh, color. But then it seems like they're—it seems like you're getting the both the best of both worlds. You're getting the black that's coming from uh, Poison Ivy, but that that GQ line was notorious for throwing like really goldish, like orangey type animals. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Huh. I, was, I was very happy for sure. No doubt. Um, always, always and, say it would have been great uh, Diablo and Poison Ivy. Yeah, I think it. You know, there was talk at points that we were going to go and do something like that. I think the the reason that I kind of waited is because I didn't want to. Like, luckily with me, I was able to track back. You know, the lineage all the way to Anthony Capitano checking his records and verifying that that was the animal that Jake sold to. You know what I mean? But like, right? I really believe there's there's like three other people out there that have ideas that look exactly the same, and I really think that they're from that clutch. But how do you prove it? You know? And I didn't want to get into a thing where I'm I'm starting with this new project and then already there's question on whether or not it's pure. You know, you know, I just didn't want to get into that debate. So I can track these back. Yeah. The wild caught animals, I'm just going to leave the project as that, and then you know maybe I'll take one of the babies and and do it that way. So and send it to to you know <laughs> to breed with uh, the Diablo rather than send it yeah. in here. Are you planning on breeding sibling to sibling with these to try and fine tune it and see what happens? So yeah, so I uh I've been I've been sitting on the fence with these for for a while to try to figure out where I'm gonna go, but next year will be the the year that I can do sibling to sibling to find out exactly what is what's going on. I mean it I mean, is that's possible what, that's what I would to, do. <laughs> to produce Yeah, absolutely. You know, um if it's possible to produce an all black carpet. I'll tell you what, man. A lot of people, a lot of people would say like they they wouldn't want a black carpet or they wouldn't want that because it's like, oh, it's black. There's no color. There's no contrast. But I'm telling you, man. Every time I open that cage, and everybody that I showed her to, they're just like, that is the coolest goddamn snake I've ever seen in my life. That snake was friggin' awesome. So, yeah, we'll see. Fingers black crossed. Is in. Where did she? Black is then once you go black, you never go back. Come on, Eric. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, refresh my memory. Where did she come from again? She's not a wild caught. She's a she's a captive born and bred. You said you traced her back to wild caught. So you just picked her up randomly. So, no, no, no. Um, well, I, I I I just wanted to pick her up because I knew that the guy that was dealing with with her. Um, 
he's gotten out of it out of it by now. I don't, I don't know if he wants his name out there or whatever. But anyway, he he had he had a decent no, collection cool. of carpets, but he's kind of it's kind of under the radar. Anyway, I picked it up from that guy, and like I said, um, Jake Milbrat reached out to me. And if anybody knows, back in the early days of carpets, he was big time. He had a beautiful collection of carpets, and now he I think he does ball pythons really now. Anyway. Um, he bought them from this, uh, he bought them from this guy, Tim Frazier. Um, and, uh, he bought this really dark female and he picked it up from King Snake and, um, he, he, he finally got her and, and that, that came from wild caught parents. So Tim had these wild caught IJs. He bred them. He got, you know, uh, this baby, I'll send you a picture in a minute of, of what she, of the animal that that uh jake had anyway brought them together like i said uh he he hatched out these normal looking ijs they're just normal looking so he sold them all off i think there's one other person that jake knows that that had them um but uh he he was really taken back because he's like holy shit you know here's a project that i was working on and i think i sold it and made a mistake i should have kept going with it and i'm like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, you, you you jumped out too soon, you know. Um, I don't know why you would sell the whole clutch, you know, if it hatched out and they're normal looking. I mean, he must have been pretty frustrated with carpets at that point. I don't know. But, like, you know, you at least have to wait a little while to see how they're going to – You know what's funny? What they're going to do. He reached out He reached out to me. Uh, when did you buy her, just out of curiosity? Or when was she born? 2011. Comes and wants to buy a snake from me, I can tell them 
no, you don't want that one. You want you want high yellow. This is what you want. You want high orange. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just yeah. starting to really get a feel for looking at babies and saying that's what's going to be good. That's what's not. And that's just from holding that stuff back and seeing how it develops. You know, things that you think are going to be smoking when they come out of the egg, they don't turn out to be exactly the way you thought they were going to be. You know, and things that you thought was a sleeper turns out to be the best one in the clutch, and then you sold it, and now you're Somebody else is, is pushing forward with your project, which, you know, it's not that I, I don't want them to. It's just that I'm doing it because it's fun for me, and I want to push the project forward. Cool. Um, it's it's the reward from, from your hard work. I mean, why not, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how many – Which ones are you me sending me, then? <laughs> <laughs> which, which ones are you sending me? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to ask. So, um, if you guys don't mind uh, telling, what? How many IJs did you guys each produce this year? So, I did uh, what, four four pairings of IJs. I did um, the Tiger um, to uh, GQ. Um, it was my first clutch. I did a Exanic to a Granite because um, Exanic Granites are just the most phenomenal carpet morph out there. I mean, they're just, it's, I don't know if you agree, Stephen, but they're freaking incredible. Um, and to be best combo, in my opinion. Yeah. And to be pure IJ to boot. Oh, man. There's, yep. there's nothing better. So I produced double heads from them. Um, and then uh, I did a Boa Cabana to my M-Pen uh, girl. Um, again, that's sort of like uh, that. The, the Boa Cabana is really like uh, um, banded. So I was trying to make some really nice banded IJs, and I, I think they, they turned out pretty sweet. Um, and then I did, well, I don't know if this is the correct term. I don't even know how to what to call them anymore at this point. Uh, Hedexanic to Hedexanic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's a four? Yeah, four. So. Sweet. I only did two clutches this year. Uh, next year is my year that I'm really excited for a lot of my IJ pairings. Um, just stuff. Me too. Stuff yeah. that I gave the year off. I know. It's funny because me and you have talked about that, Eric, and we've been like neck and neck like a friendly competition of like, Oh, next year, just wait, just wait. Um, and it's always <laughs> yeah, <right>? exciting, <laughs> exciting to see yeah. and hear and, and talk about. Um, but next year I have a lot of stuff that could, um, potentially go. And I'm really excited for that. And a couple repeat pairings that I'm excited for, but I only this year, um, in terms of like pure stuff, I only did, um, a, Farm hatch male to a field collected uh, female, and that was a really right. cool clutch. Um, and then I did a farmed hatched male to a F1 female. So her parents were uh, wild caught imports, and she was produced by um, a breeder over there. I think he's in Florida. Um, and so still kind of not too far down the line, you know, still closer to uh, like wild caught um, blood. And so excited mm-hmm. for that. Um, 
but just two small IJ clutches this year for me. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'll totally. I, think I can't I wait to get one from all of them. Clutches and carpets. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So I like. Yeah. I don't know about you, Stephen, but, like, each year I'm, like, you know, I have another project that comes up to age, and you're, like, do I breed this? Do I wait till next year? Oh, my God, I'm going to have too many babies. Am I going to be able to sell these? What am I going to do? Yeah. Where am I going to put them all? Making up. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the morphs don't inter- interest me at all. It's just I just like the different, like, normal wild-type phenotypes, like selectively bred stuff to just be really, really crisp and really nice looking. You're lucky. Yeah, I like you. them all. I like normal and I like morphs. Yeah. I, you know, my I'm favorite you, my favorite morph has always has always been the granite. That was the first one I ever saw. It's, I coveted it back when it was like three grand to obtain one. Um, but, I, you know, the, the more I, I guess the older I've gotten, the more I've uh, kind of not I, I mean, morphs just don't do a lot for me. I mean, I've got some with some bloods, and I have some with some Amazon tree bows. But other than that, I I just like the wild type stuff. See, my problem is this: is that I have to have it all. You know, when it comes to carpets, <laughs> no. it's like I I need I need the morphs, I need the localities, I need the subspecies, I need the bloodlines. You know, I mean, I don't think at this anything that I don't have as far as carpets go. I would love to see your guys mm-hmm. collection. <laughs> yeah, there's absolute there's no I have caramels, I have hypos, I all that stuff. So there's caramel hypos, you know, for coastal stuff and I just got a pair of those Cape York Archer River carpets. You know, I, it's just nuts. I never thought in a million years that I would have Cape York carpet pythons, and here they are. <laughs> so I don't boom. even know what those look like. I'll send you a picture. Up. They're not they're as cool. good as an IJ, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, dude. He's spreading up like butter tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, what's funny is when I post stuff, I always say, like, oh, ignore this. They're just IJs. <laughs> yeah. Huh. You know how I knew I was on to something? When? I didn't take IJs to Tinley, and there's a guy that I really, really respect when it comes to an eye for top-notch animals, and that's Andrew Paris, right? This guy has oh, yeah. an eye that... You know, I'm just impressed all the time at the little subtleties that he can pick out, you know, because we'll talk at Finley and he'll come over and he's looking at the animals. And we always had this joke that, you know, he's a, he's a jungle guy and I'm an IJ guy. And, you know, I work with dirt snakes and all that stuff. And, you know, it's a friendly back and forth. And um, it was last year. And I had a bunch, a bunch of stuff, and he came up to me and he's like, "The shit that you're posting is just insane, man! Like, you're gonna get me in wanting IJ." So if you can turn a guy like Andrew Paris, <coughs> who bleeds yellow and black, <laughs> yeah, to look at Jungle IJ snob. and say, "Maybe I have to, I have to get some of this," I'm on the right path. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I was telling him he just needs to get one from each of us, and he'll make them better. 
<laughs> exactly. I think what you guys are doing or what you guys are keeping and breeding and producing is exceptional. And I'm, I'm slowly but surely amassing my own group of them, and hopefully I'll be there one day. So. Yeah, man. Absolutely. The future for ideas but, uh, is bright. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, kind of, kind of reaching the end of the show. I really want to appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I just wanted to uh, uh, put your information out there if anybody really needs at this point to know how to get all of you guys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure. Best way for me, uh, my website is ebmorelia.com. My email is eric at ebmorelia.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, both ebmorelia. I just recently started uh, doing some YouTube stuff because I think me and Steven are the only carpet people that really put any out, any consistent, or Riley too. But other than that, me, you, and Riley are the only ones that are doing anything carpet python related on YouTube. Which is a shame, yeah. but well, you know, with fun fact, fact. I gotta say you're, you're doing it. You're doing it really well because you're putting them out there and you're putting you know good information out there, um, and so you, you show quite quite the uh, variety. Yeah, attractive. Who was that? Who was that? You too. <laughs> so Thanks. just so you guys know, Riley's local to me, and I'm taking because I have my YouTube channel. Um, and I mostly am doing my arboreal stuff and everything, but um, I'm planning on doing a collab with him next week. So I'm hoping to oh, nice. pull out some of his some of his Morelia and talk about that. Some I've got my camera guy coming over there, and we're also going to pull out some dry mark on um, and talk about some prebos as well. But uh, should be Very should be fun and and. Just so you guys know, I'm also picking him up Sunday because I'm get, hooking him up with his first uh, Amazon Trebo. So you guys can fight it all oh, you shoot. want, but it's bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I can't, yep. I can't do both, man. So. Don't you think that most guys are either a Python guy or a bow guy? There's very few people. I think you're the only one I know that that that, that teeters the line between the the uh, – the bows and the pythons. I think you, you didn't know you both, both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to just. You know, yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, I do. I just, I just love that stuff. You know, I live in South America, so and I'm an arboreal nut, so all that stuff kind of really has a, a draw to me, but. You know, my first right. snakes were all Australian, all Australian stuff. You know, um, so right. I, I've always loved the python. So I mean, yeah. it is what it is. I I just pick a few that I like the most of each and work with those. Cool. Yeah. Eric, are you still posting so, on Twitter? I do. Uh, I, so I don't ever go to Twitter, but when I post on my Facebook page or my Instagram, it automatically uploads there. So I don't, I don't, if you're going to try to message me there, that's not, that's the place to go, but you can follow me on Twitter. Evie Morelia. Okay. Steven, what's your contact info? Um, 
best way to get a hold of me is probably on Facebook, just because the Messenger app is kind of helpful. Um, it's pretty easy. Uh, at SBK Reptiles or Stephen Katz, that's my profile. Um, Instagram, same thing, at SBK Reptiles for Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Otherwise, my email is sbkreptiles at yahoo.com. Um, I'm always open. I always say you could give me a phone call and chat carpet pythons with me if you have any questions. So, I mean, 626-827-6461. You could Google my number anyway, so it's not like it's some big secret. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, cool. I mean, well, and we could talk IJs. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. I got animals coming from both of you, so. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably right, well, get them, Eric, first because it's too hot for me to ship, even though we're closer to each other. Oh, dude, it's it's hot here. It's like a hundred, oh, like hundred and ten degrees, hundred and seven, hundred and five. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, but you could do holds for hot. pickup. Like it's it's ninety five. Yeah, you, you know, by the time I need to drop off, so it's still too hot for me to ship. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I. It's. I do live close to the FedEx house. I'm like a mile and a half from it. So, and the funny yeah. thing is, is one of the big, one of the largest uh, gecko breeders in the world has a warehouse across the street from the FedEx hub. So they are really good with reptiles. They know them really well. They've always got reptile boxes in there almost like every day, and they put them right up there at the front desk and the AC and. The employees are always like, oh, what are you guys shipping out, you know? And so uh, they're always pretty, pretty inquisitive. So so it's good. It's good exposure. Man, lucky. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you guys, uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Eric. I apologize for keeping you up late. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you don't have to be at work super early. Um, yeah, I do. Six. Six o'clock. That's nice. All right. Well, you guys take care and um, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having right, me, man. Have a good night. Yep. You too. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. So that kind of wraps up our. Uh, our show tonight, uh, kind of an off-topic, but it was a fun one with Eric Burke and Stephen Katz uh, talking Erie and Jaya carpet pythons are probably better, uh, more accurately, the pop worn carpet python. Um, if you guys uh, want to reach out to me, you can do so via email at krauseradio at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on the website at uh, krauseradio.com dash radio.com or uh, Facebook. Make sure you like and um, if you're interested in Corrales content as well as some other species, go over to my YouTube channel which is Godbold Exotics. It's on YouTube. Like it. Subscribe it. Subscribe to it. Turn your post notifications on so you'll get updates whenever I post a video which is every Friday. Every Friday a video gets posted. So Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate all the support. Until next time, you've been listening to Corrales Radio.